So uh, it's funny that uh, since I've been on vacation, I have some friends who started a podcast. And uh, since the last time we've done our uh, podcast, they've had three episodes. Nice. All right, welcome to season three of ALH. Mark went away for a little while, but now he has returned triumphantly, I think. I don't want to be back. Uh, <laughs> I, I know we're starting off the podcast with a whole bunch of enthusiasm. We did manage to get 20 episodes in our previous season. Yeah, and a whole bunch of stuff which didn't get released at all. Yeah, I think we recorded three or four-ish episodes that were never released. We can f- start with a follow-up from the long-ago land of season two. You did end up trying an Oculus Quest, uh, but we never talked about it. Yeah, so um, I ended up trying the one that I bought my friend John, and uh, I was actually surprised how capable it was. See, with the really not that great hardware on it when it comes to uh, CPU and whatnot, I was expecting things like... uh, the gameplay to have a little bit of lag or to not look that great, but it actually seems to be fine from uh, my dealings with it. Yeah. It's surprisingly good. Um, I guess that's one of the advantages when you have sort of fixed hardware is you can make optimizations that improve it a lot. I'm reminded of game developers ports to the Nintendo switch. So, I mean, you're basically getting pretty much the same game. You're just getting one that doesn't necessarily look as nice as um, what you would see on other platforms. It's surprisingly close, though, for a lot of the things. Mm -hmm. Uh, Which games did you try? I tried Beat Saber, and I tried loading Job Simulator. and got (laughs) it working for a little bit. Well, those ones are going to be pretty close (laughs) to the original, since they're not particularly graphically intensive. There was also, uh, oh, what was the Star Wars-related one? Uh, Vader Immortal. Yeah, I got to try that for a little bit. What I loved about Vader Immortal was uh, there were parts where you're doing things like climbing walls and uh, going across pits and that sort of stuff. And uh, what I like about it is that it feels different. Mm-hmm. That uh, there are a lot of games where you uh, you go up a ladder or you end up scaling a wall and... It's pretty much just you holding up on your controller and your guy ends up going up the wall Mm -hmm. where, you know, where this actually feels, it feels different and it feels more immersive. And I think uh, one of the nice things about VR is that a lot of the time you're doing the same thing. You're just doing it in a way which feels more immersive and different, making it seem like a new experience. Right. You feel, you feel more connected to the world. Right. And you can do things that would be not necessarily a fun thing in a regular video game, and it can be fun when you have more immersion in it. I mean, the whole thing with, say, Job Simulator, for example, is uh, you're doing something that's mundane, but um, the fact that you're doing it in a different way makes it work. There are things that are sort of ordinary about it that you just wouldn't be able to do for because it's impractical, like pick up a bunch of your glassware and like throw it onto the floor or whatever in <laughs> Job Simulator. 
where there's not really a consequence to that. Whereas if you did that in real life, sure, you could do it, but then you'd have to clean it up. And then uh, there's also the game physics aspect. Like you can't actually take a potted cactus and put it in a blender and have it successfully blend. <laughs> I don't know if blend tech would probably <laughs> go against you on that. So I actually uh, pretty recently had my aunt try the Oculus Quest. She tried Beat Saber, uh, Job Simulator, and Vader Immortal. So the same ones that you tried, actually. She was very entertained by the cooking in Job Simulator. She actually also really liked uh, the Vader Immortal, even though the sort of Star Wars-y thing wasn't really her style. She never played really video games before. So mm-hmm. um, it's interesting because the VR stuff is definitely, she's able to acclimate to it much more quickly than using a controller. So I think what it is, is within video games, people who grew up with video games are used to abstracting the idea of motion to a little controller mm-hmm. where this is less so. Right. It's more natural movements. And so she was able to pick it up relatively quickly as considering she never played video games. And I suppose people like us who are used to video games kind of have to end up unlearning it. So <laughs> as uh, <laughs> as uh, Master Yoda would say, you must unlearn what you have learned. Um, I think one of the hardest things for her to figure out in like Vader Immortal was the the teleporting thing, like having to press the button and draw where you want to go to teleport since that's not something that you would normally do in real life. I mean, she started off by just walking everywhere as far as she could. And, uh, I had it like mapped out in a fairly large area, so she could do that for a while. But um, it uh, it stopped working when the areas got a bit too big. <laughs> kind of like uh, walking across a whole Minecraft map. I, I know that, I mean, we mentioned it before. I mean, there's the people that decided to turn off the Guardian and just do a VR game in a fe- in the middle of a field. I remember what you said, that uh, it works better when it's cloudy outside. Yeah, because the it has problems with, like, the bright sun. Actually, I don't think we brought this up last time, but uh, I imagine it would work pretty well at night in the middle of a field, right? If there's enough ambient light for it to pick up on some corners. Oh, so pretty much at night if the moon is out. Yeah, at night if the moon is out, it'd probably work pretty well. Or with street lights around. Here I was thinking, oh, I have to uh, time my VR gameplay to uh, times of the month where the moon is out. Where gaming. One of the things that came around... Uh, WWDC time was that uh, there's apparently now user space drivers in Catalina. And I don't think we've researched it since then to find out if it's file system only or if it gives uh, companies like NVIDIA a way forward without having to go through Apple. This seems like a pretty big deal. Like I, um, from what I understand within Linux that, uh, there aren't a lot of drivers that are actually user space. Like if I'm not mistaken, I think isn't everything built into the kernel? Pretty much. That's what makes um, dealing with NVIDIA boards on Linux actually pretty annoying because they have closed sourced drivers. And so every time the dri- uh, 
the driver updates or the kernel updates, you have to rebuild and reinstall the NVIDIA drivers, or at least that's the way it used to be, because they, you need to go and put the driver back into the kernel, essentially. And uh, wasn't uh, one of the issues with Linux being that there wasn't a stable ABI? That might be a problem too, yeah. That, that's probably another one of the issues. I think I think it was one of those things where it would constantly change so that uh, NVIDIA wouldn't be able to just release some kind of blob that would work universally. The AMD drivers, I believe, are open source, so uh, a, lot of, a lot of Linux users like using the AMD boards because of that. It used to be that AMD was way worse on Linux, but I guess things have changed. I don't actually see anything that uh, determines whether or not this is file system only. Oh, well, I guess we'll find out upon release. Here's a thread. Like um, they're saying that uh, if it's in user land, would Apple still have to sign these drivers? It would probably work like regular applications where the operating system will yell at you if they're not signed and you want to open them, but you can override essentially. Whereas Mm -hmm. right now, I think if you want to install a unsigned kernel thing, you have to go and flip a switch essentially um, via the terminal, then reboot with that uh, thing turned off, then install the kernel, then put turn the protection back on and reboot again. Um, what do you think Apple's rationale is for having user space drivers? For the file system, they don't want uh, something that causes a problem in the file system to take down the whole machine, basically. And since they can disconnect it, why not? I mean, I suppose that would also work with pretty much anything, not just file system, that they're looking to increase their stability and if they are looking to increase it for uh, video cards, which have traditionally been a, another place that is likely to bring the whole system down when there's bugs in the drivers, uh, it does make a lot of sense to move it to user land there so they can just kill the driver process. Or uh, You know what comes to mind are uh, people on the Mac Pro. So um, with the new Mac Pro, I imagine that there's going to be... Um, there's going to be cases where people who want to run CUDA, like for instance, you, yes. um, wouldn't be satisfied with the regular hardware and would want something that would run NVIDIA cards. So, I mean, it's quite possible that something like this is done, is tailored with uh, people like you in mind. That That's a really good point, actually, because with the Mac Pro, you have all these PCIe boards and it's not just necessarily things like CUDA, but other accelerator boards that they probably don't want to live in kernel land either for stability reasons. Mm-hmm. Uh, and like their own little video accelerator FPGA thing. They probably don't want that bringing down the system if there's problems with it or anything else that the people put into their Mac Pros. So it seems to make a lot of sense. Yeah, and I mean, I see that uh, this being a compromise for them not being able to have entirely closed systems. They can go and point their fingers at other people. I remember way back in the day, I mean, I'm talking like 15, 20 years ago, that uh, one of the big arguments against doing this sort of thing is performance. That uh, when you have a big monolithic kernel, that uh, things are faster because you don't have to deal with messaging. 
Mm-hmm. Now, is this something that's still particularly relevant, or is the performance difference at this point not really worth talking about? I'm guessing that they consider it uh, not enough of a performance problem that they're willing to do it, I guess. Or do you think that they're going to support it both ways? Like, within the kernel option for being faster and outside the kernel option for being more stable, like for the third-party stuff, but they'll keep their own stuff uh, within the kernel to be faster? Honestly, I could see that happening, in part because... um, you have to think that they only put out a certain number of computers that uh, that have limited driver set. So uh, because of that, their testing doesn't have to be as extensive as something like, say, a Windows platform where you have any combination of devices. So, mm-hmm. I mean, uh, depending on what the performance difference is, I could see them deciding to um, just go ahead and do it both ways. But then also the question is, how big of a deal would it be for them to write their existing drivers and change it from something that uses the monolithic model to uh, one that's in user land? I don't know if they would bother converting their own or not. Uh, There's other places where they provided APIs to do things and then they don't bother using themselves. See basically all of their watch apps. (laughs) And if that is the case, then a lot of people might actually be sort of scared away from doing the user land drivers uh, since when Apple doesn't use it themselves, the quality team tends to be much worse. I mean, because you don't have a whole dog food team. Mm -hmm. I think the fact that we haven't heard very much about this makes me uh, a little bit negative. But then again, it may just be that it's premature, that this is the uh, first part of an announcement that hints towards something a lot more significant. Yeah. Year one, they're trying with file systems next year and the next OS, next release, they might expand it or something. Or it's just the fact that there's nothing that uses it yet. Yeah. Should be fun to watch. The next thing is what used to be a bit of news uh, back when it was announced. Not enough people keep track of it. So it's probably still news to some people. Uh, and that is that the ThinkGeek website is going bye-bye. The current owner of ThinkGeek, which is the evil corporation known as GameStop, has decided that they are shutting down the website and all of the ThinkGeek stuff will be moved into a ThinkGeek-branded segment of their store. It, it just makes me sad. I mean, they've been going sort of downhill for a while, but... The store used to have such interesting and unique offerings, and now they are just sort of a pop culture merchandising brand. Thinky kind of became like the hot topic of nerdware. Pretty much. They're like if Big Bang Theory had a store. (laughs) Ouch. that's, That's pretty much how I would describe the current state of Think Geek. I think part of it is uh, you also have no love for GameStop, I'm sure. No, I do not. <laughs> Would you like to uh, recount any of your uh, GameStop horror stories? <sighs> I've sort of repressed it. I, I, So there was a period of like three months where I actually worked at a GameStop, and it was probably the most horrible job that I've ever had. Not because of like any sort of 
negative working conditions, just more because I'm really bad at mundane tasks. And so going and alphabetizing games on the uh, on the shelves to rearrange them after the customers have put them completely out of order is just sort of like destroying of my soul. Oh, and they paid you with these stupid like cards. Like you get money put into this stupid cash account thing that you then had to make withdrawals from in order to actually get paid. So they didn't, they didn't give you a check. They didn't do direct deposit. No, they gave you like a little card with their own sort of bank on it that had, I think, fees for doing things. And they put their money into that. I mean, is that even legal? I have no idea. So when you're saying there's fees, like uh, what kind of fees? I honestly don't remember. Um, I think if you bought stuff directly from the card, there might have been like a transaction fee. It's either that or when you transferred your money out somewhere else, there was a transaction fee. I can't remember which. But there was I know there was some sort of fee like that made it completely an- annoying to use. Yeah, that sounds just immensely unethical. Mm-hmm. And then like they're super paranoid about loss uh like pro- like you taking stuff out of the store that didn't belong to you. So like you had to like empty your pockets as- and prove that you weren't stealing things every day. Now, do you think that was just uh, that specific GameStop, or do you think it was all of them? I know at least uh, in this region, like a lot of people had to do that. Yeah, and then like you're supposed to log into your account on the POS system to make any sort of sales, and so they kept track of like the number of like little add-ons you were able to convince people to get and stuff like that. They yelled at you if you if you didn't se- sell enough extra things. Or get enough reservations or stuff like that. So, like, uh, protection plans and game reservations and... Like, subscriptions to their magazine. Trying to push used games over new games. I hate when companies do that because, yeah, they're trying to make more money, but in the process, they make the experience of shopping just terrible. Yep. So, I think that I have not actually purchased anything from a GameStop since I finished working there, what, 18 or so years ago? 20 years ago? I don't know. It was a long time ago. Somewhere between 18 or 15 and 20 years ago. Every now and then I find myself going into one and just looking around and finding nothing interesting. Nothing that I want to get. Pretty much. I mean, all of the hardware you can get cheaper elsewhere. Mm -hmm. Um, And then the games I prefer just downloading. Yep, exactly. I would rather I'd rather spend more money to download the game than to get one on discount. Yep. And I know that's uh I mean, I guess that's the privilege of being middle-aged and having more money than a starving college kid. Mm-hmm. But I, I think uh one of the priorities when you get older is uh space. You end up getting more and more and more stuff. And being able to have something that you can just download and not have to have yet another physical copy is just, it feels like an advantage. Yeah. It's, and also having them all available on your machine at the same time. Although you might run into issues with having to re-download it or shuffle through. <laughs> shuffle through what's on your console. 
due to the fact that you have 800 games and you can't have them all installed at once. Back to back to Think Geek. Um, I I do really miss like some of the early T-shirts that they had that were actually legitimately geeky. I think that when they stopped doing a free April Fool's T-shirt is probably when they started going downhill because it used to be like every April Fool's if you bought something on April Fool's you would get a free T-shirt. So they and they were unique to that day. And usually, or at least mildly interesting. I kind of associate the decline of ThinkGeek along with the decline of Slashdot. Except that like. I still read Slashdot occasionally. So, Well, the, the difference here is that there's still some very knowledgeable and uh, interesting people that reply to the stories in the comments with uh, information that it wouldn't, you wouldn't necessarily be able to easily find elsewhere. There was an article on uh, radiative cooling uh, with basically panels that you put on and it um, reflects almost all light and radiates infrared. So you sort of passively cool what's underneath it. And one of the comments was talking about like, oh yeah, this is th- from the Stanford team that did it in uh, this particular way. Then this other team, uh, this other group of people also did something with these uh, with these little balls that have a similar IR radiative property and then another group did it uh in this other way with this paint and uh described how each of them worked and that's one of the reasons that i actually still read slash dot it's for comments like that no it's not the story it's the people sure i can see the appeal of that and i mean also i think of uh how many times how many times there's talk about battery tech improvements that uh somebody will chime in and and pretty much say like, okay, this is similar to X, Y, and Z that's going on. Mm-hmm. And here's why it's vaporware or here's why it's promising. Yeah, pretty much. Um, yeah, I think we're done with ThinkGeek. And so is the rest of the world. Yeah. <laughs> Let's see. Should I talk about my MacBook repair experience? Yeah, sure. Go for it. So... My MacBook Pro for a very long time has been yelling at me about having a battery that needs to be serviced. And so I figured, well, it's no longer level on my desk because it's swollen. It's already messed up my keys to make them do the repeaty thing. And additionally, unmessed up my keys so they don't repeat anymore. (laughs) (laughs) I should probably take it in before it sets fire to something. Yeah, so I scheduled an appointment at an Apple store on a Saturday because I figured, hey, they're probably going to need to take it for a little bit, um, and hopefully I can get it back before my work starts again. And so I went and I did I, I did a more recent time machine backup and I did a full super duper sparse bundle clone as well of my machine just in case something bad happened. Uh, It's a good thing that I did both of those things but not because of them messing the machine up but because after I took it in on the Saturday they they said you should have it back by Friday. Luckily I have Apple Care so I didn't have to pay for it but that was annoying because I use my computer to do my work. <laughs> and so what I ended up doing is I wiped another Mac's 
drive. And then I tried to do the system restore using the time machine backup because I didn't realize that I need to have the super duper backup in a machine directory called time machine in order to restore from it automatically. It said this restore will take uh, 20 hours. Okay. And luckily I started early on Sunday and 12 hours later, there has been a right error. Oh yeah. It aborted. Mm. And so I thought, well, if I just try and do a restore again, it probably isn't going to work. So I figured I would do the migration assistant and I tried to go back to the recovery partition to install the OS again, uh, a blank one. And it said, cannot install the OS. The OS that's currently on there is newer than this one because it still had the one that I had tried to do the restore for. So then I had to go into disk utility, wipe the drive, and then install the old OS, which I then needed to upgrade to the new OS. So I could then use Migration Assistant to transfer my stuff that had been backed up to the Time Machine backup. So uh, for your Time Machine, is it a time capsule? Uh, No, it's uh, on my Synology. I think with those, what file system does that use for its backups? It was just, I, all I remember is I put it into a sparse bundle on the drive itself. I can't remember mm. what it's formatted. Yeah, I, I really can't remember what it's what, how it was formatted. It's, either, it's probably an EXT4 or something because it is running Linux. Pretty sure it's not APFS. Where my mind was going was uh, the time capsules, I think, are still only using HFS+. Plus, mm-hmm. Which, that kind of scares me a little. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I did the restore, or I did the migration assistant and select which accounts you want to migrate. And so I selected all of them. So it yells at me saying these ones are identical because I stupidly used the same account name on the machine and just said, okay, overwrite the one on the iMac. 12 hours later, because that's how long it takes, apparently, uh, it said this account, this and this account. Uh, could not be created because for some reason we don't have permission. So I rebooted the machine and started the OS and I did see that the files were in the user's directories. So I created a new account with that name and told it to just use the stuff that's already in the place that would be the home directory. And then my account was mostly back. So, I mean, enough for you to limp along and do work. Right. And then, so, I th- think we talked about, like, naming computers before, but I, if, if you don't remember, I name my computers after elements, and my main, mm-hmm. my, my main computer is called Carbon. And so when I restored all the stuff onto, uh, my, I'm, uh, onto the other Mac, the iMac, and got my account back, and I, uh, I changed the computer name to uh, Carbon Copy. Cute. So all of this was just a really long setup for a really bad joke. Nice. So, I mean, everything is pretty much back up and okay now, right? Yeah. Uh, I mean, there was uh, things that didn't seem to like transfer between things. Like, for example, I had Caplock's map to escape, and that didn't transfer over. And like mm-hmm. other small settings didn't seem to transfer over. And I had to reauthorize anything that used like ec- the accessibility abilities of things like in system preferences uh i had to reauthorize 
all of the kernel extensions, stuff like that. And every single website I have to go and log into again. See, and what I'm wondering here is how much of this is it not properly copying everything and saying there's a permissions error Mm -hmm. and how much of it is just part of the normal migration experience. I don't know. I've never used Migration Assistant before, so I I, I don't know how much of this is normal, but it doesn't seem like very friendly to a regular computer user. (laughs) And then again, you have to figure a regular computer user probably isn't using the same kind of software that you are. Yeah, but... I mean, they're they're not mapping their caps lock to escape. That's true. But they probably would get confused as to if they tried to do a restore and it said that it couldn't finish and then they couldn't reinstall the OS because Mm -hmm. it was the wrong version, they might not know that they need to wipe the disk and try again. And then that's when they immediately go to uh, to the Apple store. My old MacBook Pro was sent back and it actually came back on Wednesday instead of Friday, which is good. But and it is repaired. Oh, and they they replaced both the battery and the top case because the top case got warped by the battery. If I didn't have Apple Care, it would have been a seven hundred dollar repair. So I mean that alone, Apple Care alone paid for that. It paid for itself. Yeah, I might end up having an experience like that soon. Oh joy! I I don't know. Uh, should I go into uh, my whole experience with my MacBook purchase? Sure. I just want to say one thing, and that is Apple really, really needs to have like a loaner system for people with Apple Care because not everyone has like a random iMac laying around that they can restore onto to get their work done while waiting for their computer to come back. Well, that's kind of what they're hoping for. If, you, uh, <laughs> if your computer is that vital, you should get a second one. That you have a spare. Mm-hmm. Okay. Anyhow, uh, my my experience... Around the beginning of June, I ended up purchasing one of the new MacBook Pro 15 inches. And uh, I went ahead and I maxed it out. So it ended up being something like 68 or 68 or 7200, something like that. Pretty much two or three weeks after the return period ends, they decide to drop prices on SSDs. Mm-hmm. So my um, four terabyte. SSD MacBook Pro went down in price by $1,400. Yay. And yeah, so uh, this is what I get for being an early adopter for things, mm-hmm. for going out and getting, I guess, devices the moment they end up, um, they end up coming out. So um, I decide to, uh, I write the Apple business store mm-hmm. and, uh, I write them and I say, like, look, um, you guys just dropped the price of your MacBook Pro by $1,400 a month after, pretty much a month after it came out. Mm -hmm. And uh, is there anything that can be done on this front? And first the guy comes, the guy writes back and says, uh, oh, you know, that sorry, we don't have a return. And he ended up thinking that I got old hardware and then new hardware just came out. Mm -hmm. So I had to write him back. By the way, uh, I wrote him, this is correspondence I have while I'm in Europe. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm, uh, I'm on vacation. I'm on a cruise ship and I'm writing about this. Yeah. Saying like, hey, uh, hey, no, no, this is the newest hardware. And uh, you guys did this massive price adjustment. So um, 
I end up hearing from him and I, he asked, uh, can you send me a picture of the Mac box, the back of the Mac box since it has information. And I said, I won't be able to do that until after I get back. Mm-hmm. So fast forward, I, I get back home and I, I send the information and he's seeing if there's anything that can be done price adjustment wise. Mm-hmm. And it turns out that there isn't. Ouch. So the next thing that he is checking into now which this is still ongoing, is he is seeing if there can be a late return. Mm. So return, if it would be possible to have an exemption where I return my MacBook Pro now, I'll be out a few days and end up getting a new one that replaces it. You're you're secretly hoping that ALH has enough clout within Apple. uh... (laughs) Yeah, sure. Okay. Oh, uh, they see our stats. They know. <laughs> they know just how popular we are. What what I am secretly hoping for here is that they approve the return right before September, and then 16-inch ends up getting announced. And so and you can do it within the 30-day window? Yeah, and I, I do it within the 30-day window, and I end up getting a 16-inch. For me, the stars do not align like this for me, so I, I see there is... There's no way that this is going to happen because yeah. uh, between Apple and Tesla, I am just immensely unlucky. Yeah. So uh, speaking of Tesla, do you want to describe your recent tr- Tesla purchase experience? Okay. So I end up ordering one. I want to say the end of April. Remind our audience what you ordered. I ordered a P100D. So I ordered a... Uh, a blue Model S P100D with ludicrous speed. The first part of the process is they announce that people who have previously had a Tesla end up getting $20,000 off of their purchase order because um, they're including the ludicrous upgrade for free. Mm-hmm. So I see that and I'm excited. I'm like, okay, that sounds actually quite great because the car that I had had previously, the P90D with ludicrous speed back in the end of 2015, was $140,000. And now they would be selling a P100D with ludicrous speed for around one hundred and ten. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, a $30,000 difference, I thought, well, that's actually, that's quite great. And the P100D ends up being more within the price range of, say, an M5 or a, uh, a Mercedes-Benz E63 or E63S. So, I mean, it ends up, the price adjustment ends up being a lot more um, competitive. So I decided to go ahead and bite the bullet on it. In the process of biting the bullet, by the way, um, I at least traded my Tesla. So um, there wasn't the old Tesla showing up on my account. So I wasn't able to even be able to confirm immediately whether or not I was able to qualify for this. So first thing I do is I end up calling um, some of the different Tesla stores. I end up calling Tesla in Burbank and Tesla in Brea. They haven't closed those yet. <laughs> they may have at this point, but this was back in uh, this is back like end of April. So I call Brea and uh, Brea says, we'll get back to you. And I hear nothing like uh, their customer service. Yeah, nobody calls back. I call Tesla in Burbank and the guy incorrectly says, oh, well, if you're if you qualify for it, just sign in. Sign into your Tesla account and try ordering a new one, and it'll show up on the site if it's there. Which, 
No, that's not how it works. That's not how it works at all. <laughs> so what I end up doing is I end up writing the uh, retention people. So pretty much the person who said, oh, your Tesla lease is up. It's time for you to get a new one. So I end up writing those people. And I end up getting forwarded to a guy that'll say, yeah, yeah, you'll qualify for it. Just go ahead and order one. Okay. Okay. So I decide, okay, I'm going to order one. And it doesn't show up on the purchase order until I get a VIN number. So I had to wait a month in order to even see that the discount would apply. (sighs) So fast forward to, I want to say it was June. June, I finally get a VIN number. And the VIN number, um, I look at the car And the order ends up being wrong. So the interior ended up getting changed in the car. So it went from the black and white interior to just the black interior. So I say, I say to the guy, Hey, uh, this doesn't seem right. So he's like, okay, I went ahead and fixed this. And it ended up kicking me back to the beginning of like the beginning of the queue. Mm -hmm. So rather than have a VIN number, I ended up not having a VIN number. So I'm like, wait, wait a minute. What's what's going on here? Mm-hmm. So I guess due to the mistake, I would have ended up getting back to the pretty much put to the back of the line. And uh, from the sound of it, I wasn't going to end up getting the uh, full or the 3750 tax credit due to it going into July. <sighs> so towards the end of June, they're doing a mad rush in order to try and get as many Teslas out of the door before the end of the quarter and before the 3750 becomes, isn't it, like 1875? Mm -hmm. So the guy starts messaging me with a whole bunch of inventory ones where I see an inventory one that's configured exactly the same way as I had mine configured. Mm -hmm. Minus the fact that uh, it's a little bit less in range because they had the update that has the new range and the new... um, uh, the new suspension. Mm-hmm. However, it has free supercharging. So I decide, okay, I'll I'll get a inventory. I'll get one of these inventory ones. The range isn't that big of a difference, and I will get my uh, thirty seven fifty credit. And it's also one hundred four instead of one hundred eight. Mm-hmm. Okay, sure, fine, great. So I go on the last day of the month in June, and I end up getting my Tesla. Fast forward after I get my Tesla, first they announce that everybody will now get Ludacris included. (laughs) Everybody will get Ludacris, which it's good for the car company and it makes it a much better deal for everybody. It just took a lot of the time pressure off. So I was saying to myself, well... At least I get the free supercharging. <laughs> well, about that. And about that. So last weekend, they decided to announce that now everybody with a Model S and Model X will get free supercharging. With new purchases. not With new purchases. Yeah. Yes. So I still did end up getting my car for a decent amount cheaper than what I would have got otherwise. I would have been probably another eight to 10000 out of pocket. However, all of the reasons which I decided to bite the bullet and get a Tesla now no longer apply. Yay. Yay. <laughs> I mean, I'm I'm still happy with it. It's still um, you know, it's still it's a it's a P100D. It's still a great car. 
Yeah. So, well, why don't you talk about your P100D for a little bit? Minus mi- minus the range improvements and the uh, fancy new suspension that they have. First, I'd like to get into some of the differences that I've noticed with this new car. And uh, there have been quite a bit of improvements in software. Like uh, with driving, I notice now that when you have regular cruise control on and not even the whole autopilot, um, it actually slows down for curves now. And it does so quite well. I live in the mountain and up in the mountains, you know, we have windy mountain roads. And uh, if I have my cruise control set at 55 or 60, if there's a tight curve, it will actually slow down to take that tight curve. Does it do it only when there's a wall or does it also do it when there's like a fall off? I mean, the a lot of it, uh, what I noticed is that there's the guardrail there. But okay. I think what it, I think what it is is that it's actually following the lines in the road. That's possible, but I've noticed that I it's much more effective when I'm turning and there's like a mountain there than when I'm turning mm-hmm. and there's a cliff there. So it'll slow down much more. It, it'll it's much more likely to actually slow down for the curve in one in when it sees an object than when it doesn't. Well, I mean, I think it's probably a combination of. The uh, following the lines and there being an actual uh, object there that I mean, it's a it's a heuristic that uses multiple inputs. But but yeah, I mean, even the fact that it does that makes it a whole lot better for, um, you know, if you don't want to have autopilot on, it's just it's a lot nicer for just regular kind of cruise control driving. I have the uh, the regular radar cruise on basically all the time. It's sort of like an extra set of eyes. You don't want if in, even if I'm adjusting the speed a lot of times myself. It makes sure that like if I'm switching lanes or something that I don't rear end the guy when I'm looking over to the side or something like that. I had that happen yesterday where I was driving it and some car cut across and uh, it automatically it slowed down and I wouldn't have slowed down in time mm-hmm. if because uh, I was I think I was looking over at something else for a moment. When you're saying that it actually slows down for curves, um, is it doing it on your V1 autopilot on your Model S, or is it only doing it on your Model 3? It's doing it on the Model S. I haven't paid as much attention to if it does it on the Model 3. I'm pretty sure it would also, since yours does. But it definitely it does it on the Model S when it, particularly on when it, when it would see an object there. Okay, so pretty much it's just a nice uh, it's a nice software upgrade. Mm-hmm. It's not something that required hardware, which is it's nice to know, right? It's nice to know that if I kept my car, that it would have ended up improving still. So, did you pay for full autopilot? I did. I I maxed out my Model S. I guess uh, the only part I didn't max out was I didn't get the most expensive paint color. I got a blue one. Oh right, the most expensive is the red one, right? Yeah. And uh, they did a weird change where white is now going to be the standard and black is now an upgrade. They just picked the least popular one for the base model for the base or something. Yeah, I just uh, it's kind of annoying because um, I know car companies like BMW do have signature paint. It's just uh, their regular colors are not quite the same. The regular colors, I think, are included if you're getting, you know, basic kind of colors. Mm hmm. It's just if you want to get, for instance, um, with BMW, the the uh, blue that's so dark, it's almost black. You know, that's like a signature. Mm-hmm. Or with Tesla, it's all basic colors. They've removed colors 
you can't even get like brown or dark red or anything like that. I still like the red. It is a nice red. Moving on. Um, with this car is uh, they actually have a um, a place for decent sized cup holders in this one. You can transport your drinks now. <laughs> you can actually get decent sized drinks and not cans of soda. So the front now has four cup holders total. And uh, my understanding is the back also has cup holders too, which I'm not in the back enough, but I've been told that there are cup holders. One thing I'm sort of curious about is um, in the back, is there like a, if you open the trunk, is there like a a bump on one side for the subwoofer? Um, I didn't notice one, but uh, I will tell you next time. Okay. Next time I open my trunk. That's another one of the things that uh, would be annoying to me because I use the back to carry very large things uh, occasionally. Uh, for example, I recently purchased a 65-inch OLED TV that I mm-hmm. brought home in the back of my Model S. And I'm not sure if there was a bump for a subwoofer, which I had heard there might be if you have the audio, if that would still have fit. Um, I didn't notice anything. Hmm. So uh, speaking of features which are no longer present, do you still have your kids climb into the very back? Uh, I used it about a week ago, actually. Oh, nice. Okay. I don't use it most of the time because they much prefer going in just the rear seats, especially since the very back is not air conditioned. But when I am transporting um, more than five people, I use it. But, I mean, we'll get into that, but uh, I was just thinking about how they don't do that anymore. So getting back to the whole cup holder thing is that um, initially when people would buy a Tesla, between the front pa- or the front passenger and the front driver's seat on the floor would just be pretty much space where you could put anything. When I had my car, I ended up getting a third-party unit, but now by default, Tesla has something for putting in drinks and a cradle for your phone, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's a, that's a good deal nicer. They ended up going back towards what a regular car would be. So, another thing I noticed now is that uh, I didn't realize this before, but they updated the app where you can send addresses to your car. Right. So if you have a contact in your phone or an address in Maps, if you put under, if you open your share sheet and send it to the Tesla app, it will send the address to the car. Yep. It is so much nicer and uh, it makes it where I'm a whole lot more likely to use the car display Mm -hmm. because a lot of the time, if I'm looking up something on, say, a restaurant on Yelp or looking up a location on Google that uh, that way I don't have to type in the address into maps. I just pretty much I share it to the car and boom, it's there. You you didn't just use the voice. I just learned this time how to actually use the voice. Really? <laughs> yeah. So when I had the car before is I thought that since it was um, since you pretty much spoke to your car, I was trying to use natural language. Oh, where it, it turns out within Tesla that you have to use keywords kind of almost like the vector. <laughs> Where you have to uh, you have to press the button and say navigate to you know and then whatever address you're going to use or navigate to home or navigate to the supercharger right and I didn't actually end up learning that until I picked up my car and the Tesla person uh, the Tesla person was going through some of the changes mm-hmm. and at that point I realized oh this is actually how it works and oh this is actually really useful yes I I normally 
ask the Tesla navigate to blah instead mm-hmm. of uh, even sending it with a share sheet. But one thing I love about having it in the app is that uh, say I'm with friends and I'm inside, I'm at their house or I'm away from my car for a moment. Mm-hmm. I can, when we decide where to go, I can send it to the car ahead of time. That's true. So the moment I get in the car, the address is already there. Mm-hmm. And I actually, I went ahead and did that yesterday and it was actually really great. Cool. They've added a whole lot of little niceties, which make it where it is overall nicer to navigate to where you need to go. Then the next thing I noticed is I actually do notice a difference in speed. The car does accelerate a good deal faster than the old one. Right. When I borrowed a P100D, the difference between your old car and that car is much larger than the difference felt like between my car and your car was. It's so effortless. I'm driving up the hill from uh, San Bernardino towards Lake Arrowhead, and uh, you know there's a nice big windy hill, and I put my pedal down, and I'm going a perfectly safe and legal speed uphill on you know on a mountain road, and I look down and realize I should slow down. So what's difficult about this car is that um, for a very long time I was used to driving cars based on how it would sound. So mm-hmm. I could hear how much work is being put into the car and I would drive accordingly. It's just this car is so overpowered and so quiet that um, you can't do that. Mm-hmm. You have to always look down at your speed to see how fast you're going. I mean, I find that most of the time I'm driving on autopilot or at least some kind of cruise control. For the most part, I do find that that makes me safer because... Um, since the car is choosing its speed and choosing its choosing its speed and choosing its direction, I'm more likely to go at regular pace of traffic. Right. That's another reason that I pretty much always have the radar cruise on is so I don't accidentally get mm -hmm. too fast. I I remember that, uh, back in December when I came up to see you, uh, we went out to lunch and, uh, we took your model S and, there was one point where you you weren't even you didn't floor it or anything. It's just that uh, you would put your foot down on the pedal a little bit, and I remember, oh yeah, this is uh, this is how you this is how pretty much you're encouraged to drive regularly in a Tesla <laughs> when you know when you're not using autopilot because it's just there, right? Like the way um, in your car, the way you casually accelerate is closer to the um, the Sequoia, f- flooring it on the Sequoia. Pretty much. Yeah. And yeah, it, when, when, I, when I drive other cars, it's, it's, I feel like less safe because instead of being able to both brake or, or accelerate out of situations, I can only brake. Whereas mm-hmm. when I'm in my Tesla, if uh, I get into a situation, I go... Well, I could either brake or accelerate to get out of this. I know that they can't go that fast, so I'll accelerate. Mm-hmm. Then I don't have to like do that weird thing where both people are slowing down at the same time. And One of the things that annoys me with traffic lights is uh, a lot of the time you run into a scenario where the light turns yellow. And it turns yellow at the point where you either have to brake really hard or you have to floor it in order to get through. Mm-hmm. And within, you know, within a car that isn't as powerful... 
you're forced to break. Right. So, I mean, that's that's what I was thinking of when you were talking about having this scenario where you can only break out of the situation. Oh, okay. Uh, that's one scenario. Yes. So, in this case, I actually I ran into that yesterday where it turned yellow and I would have had to have either break hard or break hard or just try and accelerate out. And sure enough, I accelerate. Mm-hmm. I accelerate and I make it easily before it's red. Right. Which... You know, yeah, I know that, yes, you're ending up going really fast, but it's it's nice to not have to worry about, say, a car behind you having to brake hard as well. Mm-hmm. Avoid getting rear-ended that way. Uh, yeah, I, I was more referring to, like, when two lanes are merging and it's you and another car. And mm-hmm. so you, you both of you have to pick whether or not you're going to accelerate or brake. And if you pick yeah. the wrong one, then it gets into a weird little annoying dance yeah where either you're you're trying to outgun the guy or you're trying to um or you're you're both trying to be kind or you're both trying to be greedy right so but yeah it's uh it feels it's just so capable when it comes to uh when it comes to driving when it comes to when it comes to going fast it's fun it's just it's so much fun and i mean i notice it does um it handles decently on curved roads. I mean, not like the model three, mm-hmm. but it's still, it's still admirable. It's, it's reasonable, especially for its weight. Yeah. For, you know, what? 4,800 pounds. And then, uh, the final thing about awesome is, uh, all of these gaming options and all of these Easter eggs that showed up since, uh, since the last time I had a Tesla, <laughs> I had fun with fart mode. Oh, I, I, did you play pole position or? Whatever Atari game it was that's on there. Um, well, there was... I played Tempest. Nice. But not Tempest 2000. No, not Tempest 2000. Oh, God, that would be amazing. It would. So do you spin around with the steering wheel? Like with Tempest? I forget. I did it with... Yeah, I, you can do it with the steering wheel, and it's just... It's weird. It's so weird. Yeah. But I would love Tempest 2000, or uh, what would also be funny is if Space Giraffe got ported. Oh, that would also be awesome. So I'm like one of five people whole... who like Space Draft. So uh, what did you think about the whole buggy racing game? Have you tried that out? I haven't tried it. I've actually only tried a couple of the games that are on it. It's it's fun. I mean, it's uh, I mean, it's not like Mario Kart quality, mm-hmm. but it's still it's a nice diversion, especially when you're parking and charging your car. Yeah, and you're looking for something to do. Yeah, I haven't done any road trips with it since. Since they put the games in, so I find that I go to L.A. and Long Beach and whatnot regularly. So I find that I still stop by supercharger stations quite often. Mm-hmm. And the main reason for that isn't me being greedy with my house bill or anything. It's just that my uh, I haven't updated the electrical on my house yet in order to uh, in order to charge faster than three to four miles an hour. Ah. Uh. Well, I guess if you're only going 40 miles a day, you're okay, but I guess you must be going further. No, 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 no. It ends up being it ends up being closer. When we do trips, round trip, it ends up being closer to, say, 100. Mm-hmm. So, but part of that as well is that uh, since we live on a hill, when we go downhill, it's free. Like, <laughs> mileage. Yeah. Oh, oh, it's kind of crazy. It's like I'm going downhill and it's either free or may actually gain mileage Mm -hmm. going down the hill. 
Last night, we went the 13 miles uphill, and it ended up taking around 45 miles out of my charge. Yeah. Uh, So, I mean, keep in mind, I did gun it uphill. (laughs) So I did drive aggressively, but I looked down and I realized, oh, wow, it took up that much mileage. So I feel feel like I'm not going to go uphill when there is only 10% charge left, because I don't know how that will be with the car. So a lot of times I do actually decide to stop and I stop and charge when there's time. Mm -hmm. And eventually when I get the house or when I get the whole uh, house charging set up where it's charging faster than three to four miles an hour, then I find that I'll end up going to the stations less. Mm -hmm. So let's go into what is cool, but needs improvement. Let's talk about navigate on autopilot. I know that your Model S doesn't have that, but have you tried messing around with it on your Model 3? Yes, and I don't think it's useful enough for me to really use it. I mean, my wife uses it. She likes to use it, but uh, it doesn't do things that I would do, so I don't like it. So um, I find that I don't know how useful it would be around, you know, Redmond and Seattle due to its road, the roads that are there. Mm-hmm. But um, I find with Los Angeles, it is actually quite useful oh. when you hop on a freeway. So a lot of the times, like when I'm on a freeway, I find that I try and leave it on, mm-hmm. which I mean, it's great in that um, it'll end up merging over and um Depending on whether or not you have the setting for the HOV on, it will try and get into the um, into the uh, carpool lane. Where if you don't have the HOV on, it will try and get into one of the lanes, either you know the furthest left lane or one lane over, Uh depending on the software and depending on how fast traffic is going. Mm So uh, there was actually a software update that I installed yesterday, which did seem to do some changes on nav on autopilot, but there are still bugs. So for, but for instance, when it comes to bugs, like um, say for instance, you're in the furthest lane over and you want to get over because you don't want to go that fast. So you decide that you're going to end up uh, going over to the right Now, um, with Navigate on Autopilot, you'll end up going over to the right, but once it's completed, it will then end up trying to kick you back over to where (laughs) it thinks you should be. So, right now, Navigate on Autopilot, it doesn't, it's not able to really capture driver intent well enough, Mm -hmm. where, where, say, for instance, if you want to be, say, in the second lane or the third lane so that you can let faster traffic pass in front of you, it doesn't seem to be selective enough with that. Right. And um, yeah. And a lot of the times, if you do have the um, carpool lane enabled, what it will try and do is it will try and unconditionally move over to the carpool lane, regardless on whether or not you've told it not to. Mm-hmm. So um, the only way to get it to stop doing that is to go into settings while you're driving your car and turn <laughs> HOV off. Uh, they do have some way to go with that. Trying to get driver intent with navigate on autopilot. But if you leave it to what it thinks it should do, 
it's it's okay. Except, except there's one part on the um, 210 West. So if you're heading from San Bernardino over to Rancho Cucamonga, if you are over in the left-hand lane, there is a portion where the carpool lane opens up. Mm-hmm. And the car, if you have Navigate on Autopilot on, it will veer hard. Uh-uh. Like, I would say... I would say like at around, I would say between 10 and 11 o'clock. Okay. So it ends up, uh, it ends up veering hard into the lane and there's a wall right there and uh, it will hit the wall if you don't disengage autopilot. That seems bad. It's yeah. It's like um, the, the rate that it does it is like dangerous. It's dangerously bad. So, I mean, I've tried. I thought, oh, maybe this is a one-off. Maybe this is one of these one-off things where it's this weird scenario. But I have it. I've done it, like, I want to say three or four times where I have my uh, I have my hands on the steering wheel prepped. Mm-hmm. And sure enough, each time it just veers hard into that carpool lane the moment it ends up showing up. And I, uh, I end up chickening out and having to correct for it. That's nuts. Now, I haven't, since the software update is applied... Since yesterday, um, I have not tried that since, mm-hmm. but uh, next time I end up going down, um, well, maybe I'll give that a shot. Well, at least I know how you're going to die. Yeah, I die by hitting a wall. Uh, by testing your Tesla. Well, hey, if uh, if I end up totaling, totaling the Tesla, maybe insurance will pay for this updated Tesla with free supercharging. <laughs> I won't be able to drive it since I have broken arms, but uh, hey, my my Tesla will be updated. Thanks, Elon. <laughs> so, um, so next thing that needs improvement the uh, the updated UI, which um, from what I recall, we ended up having a conversation. I want to say either last season or the season before, talking about how they changed it, where you can no longer. You can no longer have the back camera on by default, that it wants to have it where the the maps are almost omnipresent. Yeah, the maps are always in the background. And if so, you tell it to yeah. navigate somewhere, it will remove everything that's on their screen and just display the navigation, even if you are backing up. So it's, it's non-optimal, but I found with this car that... Um, I found that I've changed my habits on what I want on my screen in order to compensate for it. I guess maybe I'm just one of those people. Like, uh, say, for instance, when the MacBook Pro keyboard got updated, I ended up just kind of running with it. Okay. And just saying, yes, this is worse. This is worse, but this is the new normal. So with my uh, so with my Tesla now, I find that I don't drive with the camera on all the time. Oh. I just find that I drive with the map on and just kind of deal with it. See, I every pretty much every single time like it does that, I will go and turn the back camera back on. You know what would be awesome is if um if they added it to the API where um you could actually control through your phone um what kind of uh what kind of stuff is on the dash there. 
Because then with something like Model S, you could use an automation command mm-hmm. and have it where have it where say you push a button and it automatically does that. However, the better option would be for Tesla to fix this where it will retain the settings. See, they think this is a feature. They think yep. that you want to switch to the full navigation every time you navigate somewhere. I suppose that's fine if you're actually using their navigation, but if you are not using their navigation and don't have something keyed in, then yes, I I imagine that it would be a whole lot more useful to have your camera on. Well, most of the time it keeps that as long as you don't uh, start a, start a navigation setting now se- session mm-hmm. now. Um, it used to be that it just went away, but now I think as long as you put it up and you don't start a navigation session, it will keep it up. So the next thing is uh, I noticed that things like web browsing, web browsing and general snappiness is a lot better than the old car. Mm -hmm. You can go to a website and you can browse around except for video. Yep. But Elon says that's coming soon when you're parked. So he said that uh, YouTube and Netflix, I believe, are both going to come soon when parked. Okay. So I was kind of thinking that that would be quite interesting because um, what a lot of these websites are doing is uh, they test for the HTML, uh, the HTML5 video element, right? Mm-hmm. So um, there's tests where, I mean, I'm sure there's some kind of web test that happens when you have your web browser on. So what happens, say, if you're watching a video on a website and then you put it into park? What happens then? Like how would they how would they end up getting around that? Would they end up having something that would end up killing the HTML video elements? You, you mean put it into Drive? Like when you uh, yeah I'm sorry when you put it into Drive. Okay, that makes more sense. So you're watching a video in Park, you put it into Drive. What ends up happening? How does that work? So that'll be an interesting technical problem. I don't know. Maybe the maybe the car will just kill the detect mm-hmm. the element and kill the video. That would be the easiest thing. However, I was thinking it would be interesting if there were an update to the HTML spec there where it would have some kind of mode or selector based on if you can driving mode. Well, yeah, I mean, not not necessarily driving, but say distracted Mm -hmm. or um, distracted or limited, uh, limited focus mode or something along those lines. So I I remember that like if you'd go to like Google Maps via the web it still doesn't work right. Uh, I haven't tried that, but because uh, I tried it once, I'm like, you know, that navigation is better. Maybe I can just go to the web page and then it just wouldn't let me. <laughs> Cute. Um, no, I haven't tried that. I should try that. But of course, uh, when Elon Musk says soon, who knows? I mean. Who knows what that is, if that'll be uh, the next major version of the software to come out. You can never tell. So my uh, how I even found this out is uh, my initiation for the car. I was testing YouTube and I was testing, of course, um, my software. Oh. I was testing my software to see what the capabilities would be on it mm-hmm. to see if uh, to see if there should be some kind of uh, accounting for it. But no, it doesn't. No, hmm. no video. And then the last thing which I think needs improvement is uh, sentry mode. Sentry mode, um, for those of you who don't know, they will record video footage of pretty much people going up to the car or people touching the car. Anything that shows that there's proximity to the car, there will be uh, video footage. 
Mm-hmm. I have not actually been able to see any of the video that's come out yet due to the fact that I need I need to get a USB stick and I need to uh, I need to go through the whole rigmarole of uh, taking it out, taking the USB stick out, putting it in my phone or putting it in whatever other device and actually looking at the footage that's there. Sentry mode, there really, really should be something that makes it where you can look at sentry mode activity on your car. Yeah, on your car would be great. Or if when you're connected to Wi-Fi, if you're able to access it, that would also be great. Mm -hmm, I agree. What I think would be better is um, if there were actually a service. Think of it kind of like how you have services like, you know, Ring. Yeah, the Nest where it records 10 days of video and you pay like a certain amount per year. Yeah. Like since Tesla, um, since Tesla cars do have LTE built in, they could have it where there is a service where it will upload sentry mode indication or sentry mode events to a cloud service. Mm -hmm. And where that would be useful is what I would honestly like is something where the um, anytime there's a sentry instance, I can see it on my phone or watch and see if somebody see if it's just something normal or if it's something that actually warrants going out and looking at it or keeping the video or anything like that. Right. They'd have to tra- probably charge for that because you have oh, the, oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, both because of the data usage and the storage. But I would be willing to pay for that. And I am sure I am absolutely 100 percent percent positively certain that there would be tons of tesla drivers that would be willing to pay for that this is probably true i'm hoping they have that in mind i'm hoping there's improvements to the sentry system which makes it where it's um where you can actually more easily view the video Mm -hmm. also what i would like with it is if they had a service like this have it where it's similar to the ring system where you can talk to the person so say for instance if somebody if somebody is sitting on your car, which uh, people tend to do that with Teslas. Hello, Michael. <laughs> is actually have something like that, like, hey, guy, don't sit on my car. <laughs> I actually, uh, I was out with um, my friend, Roberto. I- I'm sorry, I need to say this again. Podcast listener, Roberto, since he actually listens to our podcast. Um, we were out with him once and uh, we were going out to dinner and we found the stop where you can take pictures. It was a nice Vista point. And we're out there taking pictures with his drone and the people next to us are going up to his car and like leaning against his car in order to take a picture. Uh oh. And he he seemed to be okay with it. But if it was me, I would have actually I would have gone up and been along the lines of can i help you that's just bad etiquette to go up to somebody's car and press against it yeah i think it's a tesla thing but it's also i imagine anybody with something like a ferrari or a lamborghini that you have other people doing that kind of stuff too i would love car alarm settings for the tesla as well where if somebody um if it's locked and somebody pushes it that it it doesn't do a full on car alarm but it does a sound that's enough to say like stay away i thought that it already did that um hmm. i remember elon tweeting something about like having some sort of warning that goes first well i i remember for sentry mode that uh there was some kind of sentry mode logo that would show on the inside but i don't know if that's yeah. I haven't been able to effectively reproduce that. But then again, when I'm around my car, I generally have my key. 
Another thing they need to improve is um, if I do not have my key and I have my phone and I use my phone to unlock the car and I get into the car and I sit in there for a while, when I get out, the alarm gets triggered. Yep. So I think it needs to be a little more intelligent on um, a little more intelligent on saying like, okay, this person started the car with their phone and they're still there. Don't turn on the alarm. I think they need to be able to detect that the phone is still inside in order for that to not be a security problem. Well, one would figure that if the phone is pairing with Bluetooth, that that would be one way of determining that. Uh, did they update the your Model S to have like the same abilities as the Model 3 Bluetooth-wise? Because I think that the Blue- Model 3 has had, at least, I don't know if it still does, better Bluetooth capabilities than the Model S, and that's why you could use the phone as a key, whereas you couldn't with the S. Um, there hasn't been any kind of update along that lines. However, if uh, if that's in the new, new Model S, I will be so angry. <laughs> <laughs> it might be. It might be in the new one. Oh, and the, and this is when I become a Tesla hater. I, I'm, I feel like I'm slowly becoming one. It's like, don't get me wrong. I think that the Model S is still my favorite car. Mm-hmm. It is still, I think, the best car that you can get overall. Right. Not in not in every single way, but overall, I still think it is the best car you can get. But there are so many things that are just annoying, and there are so many you know there are so many things that you have Elon Musk doing that are just annoying. <sighs> that it will be it, it'll end up being a love hate relationship after the six years is up. This this sounds like getting into uh, the frustrating category. Yeah. Yes, it is. So, time 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 to vent, Mark. Yeah, time to vent. So, the first part that's frustrating is summoning. Where summoning is uh for those of you who aren't familiar, you can use your keychain in order to have your Tesla move backwards or forwards for the purpose of parking or I guess unparking. Oh, I've always done it from the phone. Okay. I didn't know you could do it from the key. Yeah, you can do it from the key. That's good to know. That seems way more convenient. <laughs> so yeah, you press down. It's they've had that since uh, 2016, where you press down on the center part of the key for I want to say two or three seconds until the lights flash, and then you do you press the front part to go forward or the trunk part to go back. Have you have you set up any things in uh, the Apple shortcuts to do stuff like that? Because I know that you you can. No, nothing like that yet. And the main reason that I haven't really got into that is the fact that with my driveway, I'm not able to fully summon my car out of my garage. The The summon only goes, I want to say, up until the point where the hood of the car is where the garage door would be. To be fair, your driveway is so steep that your Tesla probably thinks it's a cliff. <laughs> I mean, it it does end up rubbing when I end up backing out. It does end up rubbing the bottom. Do you do you re- increase the height? Um, it's weird because here's what I don't know. When I end up putting the car into the garage, I have it. It automatically senses and puts it on very high suspension, and I can roll into the car, into the garage just fine. Mm-hmm. But when I come out of the garage, that's where it ends up. Okay, yeah, you you need to put it into high again. So, 
does this mean, I guess, does this mean that when the car goes to sleep that it lowers the suspension again? So I think that the air slowly bleeds out of the suspension. What I've done is I've gone to a parking spot where I wanted to get my nose over the little bump there so I could pull further forward. And mm-hmm. I so I put it in a very high. I went forward. I then when I came back, I it ended up scraping along the top of it. Uh so okay. So I mean, I guess where where that ends up becoming frustrating as well is that if it doesn't remember the suspension setting, there isn't a way of raising or lowering your suspension from outside of the car. I don't think. So in order for me to even do that, to make it where it doesn't scrape, I would need to get in the car anyway. So summoning ends up becoming effectively useless for me. In order to do summon, they need to make it where it's smarter about my car not uh, being on a cliff. So it will end up summoning all the way and they need to change the suspension. Actually, I don't even think that it's the whole thinking that it's going off a cliff. I think what happens is that the car senses that it's rubbing on the bottom and stops. Oh. Probably what I should do to test this out is I should get in the car, change the suspension, then get out of the car, go outside and summon it and see if it will successfully summon. This sounds like a good test. Yeah, something to follow up for the next episode to see if that ends up changing. Yep. The uh, the next frustration is uh, supercharging. Is that uh, supercharging, a lot of the superchargers around us only have a maximum of 72 kilowatts. So there is one close in Rancho Cucamonga that is supposedly 120. But um, even there, I haven't been able to get over 90 at that charging station. Are there multiple Teslas charging? Oh, at the Rancho Cucamonga one, that's one of the busiest I've seen. That's that's probably why. A lot of the... Before version 3, they tend to share basically Mm -hmm. their capacity. So if you have more than one Tesla there, then you're not going to get usually full charging speed. So part of it is most of the superchargers that are there that I've seen that are around are uh, 72, 75 maximum. Mm -hmm. So even if those are empty, which I was at at one at uh, one o'clock in the morning last night and I was the only person there and it's charging at a maximum of 72. Mm. There were network needs to be updated, I think. Mm -hmm. So I'm hoping that at some point they will be able to transition a lot more of these to V3. Even if they don't, my concern is with the Model S. Uh, I don't know if I ended up getting one that doesn't even end up charging up to 200. I don't know if the... Uh, I don't know at what point that ends up... I think that might have actually been with the new suspension. Okay. Well, in that case, my maximum is 120 to 140, I guess. This will be less of a big deal as once I get home installation. Mm-hmm. So, since the range, the range is a good deal better than what it was before. Mm-hmm. The locations for the superchargers are convenient enough where even if I stay at one for 10 minutes, if I need to stay at one for 10 minutes, it's good enough to get up the hill mm-hmm. and end up charging at home. So they it, it's better, but they still need a lot of improvements. Mm-hmm. So the next frustrating thing is there is no Spotify and there's no Apple Music within their user interface right european one has spotify and i'm pretty sure 
it's this is basically exclusively because they had a they had a big deal with with Slacker, and mm-hmm. so because of that big deal that they have with Slacker, they're prevented from even offering Spotify. And what's annoying with Slacker is if you use the voice commands and say something like "play," you know, "play Aphex Twin." It ends up not going through your phone. It ends up going through Slacker, mm-hmm. which I mean, it wouldn't be bad if you had a service like Spotify on there where it would play where it would play whatever music from Aphex Twin in this case. That would be nice. It would be nice if it actually entirely routed through the car. It's just you're getting something that is Pandora quality at most. Basically Pandora. And yeah, the the street the quality of the tracks is not not as high as streaming through Apple Music or Spotify. Yeah. And I'm sure that uh if Apple ends up doing their own car, which I think is still a thing, I'm sure that uh Apple is going to have every single one of their services integrated into the car. So Apple Music will be integrated into the car and Apple Maps will be integrated into the car. Like all of the things that uh, Tesla has sore spots with, I'm sure that Apple will be better. However, I am sure that an Apple car will have a whole new slew of things which are just awful about it, which we will end up complaining about someday. Yeah. Oh, relating to the music, like I've just sort of gotten in the habit of like talking at my watch every time I get into the car to, to play, like to shuffle my library or whatever. I find with the voice assistant that the voice assistant is, it's so meh that I think it almost encourages you to talk to your phone instead of talking to the car. Yeah. The one thing that is annoying is like, at least with my Tesla is every time or every time I get in the car, it's sort of random whether or not it's still on the phone setting or if it's gone to like one of my random stations that it's, that it's created for the slacker. Mm -hmm. And sometimes like if I go on one station in slacker and I get in the car again, it'll just have picked the first one alphabetically and start playing that one. And then a lot of times at night, I'll listen to a podcast on my phone. So I'll get into the car and it will start just like playing the podcast instead. But it won't be the same one I was listening to at, to at night. It would be a just random other podcast that is on my phone. That sounds about right. What I'm hoping for at some point is if things like Siri end up getting smarter, what I'm hoping is that someday it'll be able to chain commands. Like you can say, hey, get the address to my mother's house and send it to my car. Mm-hmm. So if you're able to chain things, you can have the actual fetching part happen through the phone and then send it to the car and then you'll be on your way. You could you could set up a shortcut. The problem with that is chaining commands, right? Unless you're unless you're saying for specifically specifically if I want to have a shortcut to go to my mom. No, no, no. You can you can you can put variables into the shortcuts. So you can have uh do A and send it to B and have a and B filled in at the time of your request. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, I played with shortcuts a little bit, but I didn't get I didn't get that deep into it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess it's a whole lot more useful now having a car that can actually uh, deal with the shortcuts. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, maybe I'll do that. The next thing that annoys me, of course, is being bamboozled by Tesla's <laughs> constant price changes and offerings. Yes, which we we discussed a bit earlier. 
Uh, do you have anything mm-hmm. to add to that? I think about companies like Apple, which I know that uh, I ended up getting bamboozled by Apple as well with their pricing change. It's just with something like the iPhone, you get a new iPhone every year and you have an idea of uh, when something new will be out and you know that if you end up getting something in September, a new iPhone, that there isn't going to be a new one in November. Mm-hmm. Where with Tesla, they're all over the place. There's new pricing changes every week or every other week. And there's new offerings at random parts of the year. To sort of be fair about that, like that isn't really any worse than just dealing with a dealership. Like dealerships have random pricing kind of things as well. Then you have that added negotiation on top of their randomness. This is true. However, other car companies don't have random offerings throughout the year. Right. But their dealerships do. So it's and you have to go through a dealership. So it's the same thing. Uh, uh, Well, when I'm saying offerings, I'm meaning like features. Okay. I'm saying like, uh, oh, we're changing the suspension in March changing rather than having a model number that's uh you know big changes that are once a year Mm -hmm. which i mean i guess there's there are advantages to that where you know people get the newest greatest thing the moment that it's available Mm -hmm. Uh, but at the same time it's just so it's haphazard yeah i can understand like them not wanting to wait a whole year to get new hardware and features out but I think that it might be good for like each model that they have to have two updates per year and a sort of well-defined time when these updates occur. Yeah, I agree. It's something that they can push for marketing. And then they can offset each model. So at the moment, they would have like six major things per year, like right? So two for, mm-hmm. the, two for each model. And they could just sort of iterate that way. And they can also do structure things like specials. Like, say, for instance, you get a special before the announcement of a new feature Mm -hmm. so that you can know, okay, do you want to have do you want to have uh, this additional feature or this uh, this discount or this special? Or do you want to wait for another two weeks or so before something new comes out? Mm -hmm. They need to work on that. It doesn't feel particularly it doesn't instill confidence. It may it makes me think like they don't know what they're doing and they keep changing direction all the time, which might be the case. I, I'm sure at some point that it'll end up being better, probably at the point where Elon Musk is no longer CEO. <laughs> so, I mean, this kind of goes into trusting what to expect from Tesla, which I mean, that's what we just talked about, where you don't know what you're going to get, like the car you get. You know, there may be something that's a whole lot better or an offering that's way better two weeks or three weeks from the point that you get your car. I guess it serves them because I'm I'm thinking of what it's called. Isn't it called like the Sinclair effect where there was a computer manufacturer that announced version two of their software way far in advance? And uh, because of that, people stopped buying version one and mm-hmm. it ended up bankrupting the company. There, yeah, that's that's a common thing, and and sort of Apple is famous for not doing that, and then they've started to start doing that more recently. 
which we'll see with the whole 16 inch MacBook Pro and <laughs> their price changes and all that sort of fun stuff. So, um, before I get into the whole adapter, um, I haven't been able to get Auto Park to work yet. You know what? Every single car that has had some sort of thing like that, I've never been able to get it to work right. Yeah. Like it, it, they can never detect spots. And by the time that I see that the car has detected it, I've driven so far past it that it's not worth going to. Yeah. It's like uh, for parking, for doing parallel parking, you have to move past it. And uh, in the process, there may be a car that's behind you. Mm-hmm. So at that part, you can't really even reverse and do it anyway. Right. Well, for parallel parking, normally you want to reverse into it, but it would be nice if you could tell it before you've gone past it. Yes, I want to go there. And then it could go forward and then backward for you. Yeah, absolutely. And for me, my big dream with auto park is just to be able to get out of my car and have it park in the garage. (laughs) I love that there is all these um, all this fanfare about enhanced summon where it'll get you where if you're at Walmart, it'll get out of the parking lot and pull up to you. And it's like, I don't really want that. All I want, all I want is for it to be able to park in a tight spot, which in my case is my garage. So the last thing, which I need to talk about the stupid phone adapter, (laughs) the newer Teslas have a nice little console, which will fit your, um, which will fit larger size soft drinks. But there's also a cradle to put your phone. Now, the cradle to put your phone doesn't have it doesn't have any kind of connector by default. However, there is a thing you can buy from Tesla's website for $34, where with a little bit of work, you take the mat up from the part where your cradle's supposed to be and install whatever kind of device. They don't give you the cable for it? Or they don't they don't give you the cable and they don't give you the actual dock for it by default. You have to buy it for $34. Interesting. I think the Model 3 comes with the one for Android and one for iOS. Huh. Yeah, I didn't I didn't end up getting that. It I didn't see it with the car. So, um I end up getting it and I end up taking the mat off and there's this little fiddly process in order to um in order to go ahead and install it. Mm-hmm. And um when it works, it's supposed to be where you just rest your phone on pretty much the connector, which the connector is uh lightning for iPhone and USB-C for whatever else. Right. However, their adapter they didn't make the cable stick up enough where the only way your phone will work on the adapter is if it doesn't have a case on. It's a little nub of a lightning adapter that ends up uh, sticking up. So if you have any case whatsoever, it's not going to work. So they designed it pretty much only for people who have a phone that doesn't have a case on it. Okay, but if they designed it for one that did have a case on it, wouldn't it be sticking up too much? Here, here's part of it is that, um, the enclosure for it is, uh, the enclosure they have, it's not, there's a little tiny cable that's, I want to say like a foot long cable that you have to run through. And then there's the enclosure mm-hmm. now, or there's the little enclosure, which snaps in now the cable that goes in there 
it is slightly adjustable where you can have it stick up a little bit more. But they didn't do it. They didn't build it in a way where you could have it stick up enough where it will work with a case. So there is a third party one, a third party one, which uh, the third party made it where it is adjust. The cable is adjustable where it can stick up a little bit more. So it will actually work with a case. Now, this one is a hundred dollars. Oh, wow. And and doesn't include the cable. Nice. So yeah. So this um this third party found an opening where they realized that oh Tesla's offering is completely awful, and let's sell this one that actually works, where it's just a piece of plastic that will go within the enclosure and will make it where your thing will stick up, your cable will stick up enough to be able to use your phone with a case. It, it sounds like you need a three D printer. <sighs> Yeah, I'm. Uh, well, what am I gonna do? I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna buy a 3D printer for however much they are, and either return it or spend five hundred dollars, five hundred dollars or a thousand dollars or however much a 3D printer is, just to be able to print this device. There's just a few hundred dollars now. Yeah, it's just. Um, I mean, with Tesla, the fact that they're selling this adapter for only thirty four dollars is decent because I remember the BMW cradles were something like three four hundred dollars in order to put your phone in like some ridiculous amount of money. So $34 is pretty good. It's just, it's just completely not usable or I'm thinking it's like, okay, Tesla has enough software developers and they have enough engineers that not all of them are using their phone without cases. Just the confident ones. I actually have never used a case with my phone. You're part of the problem. I, I could see you're you're one of there's some kind of Richard clone working at Tesla right now <laughs> that's looking at it and going, This is fine. And I mean, my case, it's not even it's not a particularly big case. It's not like an Otterbox or anything like that. I would say it's only like two millimeters or so on the bottom. Hmm. It's not terrible. I'm trying to think if the model three one is able to accept ones with cases or not. I think that they mm-hmm. probably are because I haven't really heard complaints about it. I mean, it's probably one of those things where the Model 3 does better. It's just, don't get me wrong, that this is something that's it's fixable by having an aftermarket part. It's not something where, uh, you know, smash the car to the ground because this doesn't work. It's just them having a really really stupid adapter which they really really should fix Mm -hmm. now my guess is that say later in this year there's going to be an interior refresh and uh this whole thing isn't even going to apply probably that's uh pretty much i guess most of my gripes with the tesla so far and i'm sure there will be more (laughs) because that's i guess that's just how we are people are never satisfied yeah, which I mean that's okay. It just uh it'll make things better. Otherwise we would all be stuck on generation 1 iPhones and uh electric cars that only go 50 miles. So, it's okay. Do you feel better now? Right. Getting it off your chest? Uh I feel I feel a little better. I mean, I'll feel better once I actually get the uh the third party part and uh, have <laughs> you it order in. it. Yeah, I ordered it. <laughs> And there's a two-week delay on it, and they're going to take $5 off of my order for waiting. Oh, man. So, 
Yeah, my $98 part is only going to be something like $94. Hooray. (laughs) I would have actually paid Tesla the $100 for a part that worked. (laughs) For a part that actually worked rather than $34 for one that really doesn't. Speaking of the whole interior redesign thing, one of our big fears was uh, the fact that uh, there's talk that Tesla is going to change the display to be landscape instead of portrait. No. And and it's supposedly going to stick out like the Model 3. No. Now, uh, when I was in Europe, um, when I was uh, taking uh, several, several Uber rides, um, one of the Ubers there had an updated 2019 E-Series. Now, uh, the E-Series actually has a dash where it is a big screen, but the big screen runs landscape. However, it is enclosed within their dash. Mm. So it's not like something where it looks like a monitor that sticks up on the car, kind of like the Model 3, but it looks like it's embedded into the car. Mm -hmm. And I'm looking at this and I'm thinking, you know, I would be okay with this. I would be okay with something like a landscape display across the car if it were part of, if it were actually embedded into the dash. Mm-hmm. I'm going to try and find online pictures of the uh, Mercedes E-Class dash, and I'll uh, go ahead and put them in the show notes. But I realized by being in that car that my issue wasn't changing the display from portrait to landscape it was having it stick out mm-hmm. yeah i i still think that portrait is a bit nicer uh to deal with for a, a monitor of that size in the car but yes mm-hmm. if it were integrated i would have not as much of a problem with it yeah but i realized that i think part of tesla's big push with this is they're going to start having netflix in the car which Things like Netflix and video is uh, it's better to have on a landscape display. True. I mean, yes, our uh, our Model S's are better for showing uh, Snapchat footage, but oh god. <laughs> but I mean, that's uh, that's not the goal here. I certainly hope not. Another thing of note within the Mercedes E Class is um, the uh, the person driving. For lane changes, they were trying to go over into uh, one lane over into the left-hand lane, and there was one part where the driver physically couldn't do it. And the reason for that was there was a car. He there was actually a car to the um, to the left of him, and he didn't notice it. Hmm. And uh, the Mercedes actually blocked the steering wheel from him being able to swerve over. That seems like it could be dangerous, like blocking someone from turning, especially if the car gets it wrong. I mean, it was really fascinating. The fact that, you know, the fact that it would even do something like that. Yeah. I figure like what level of reliability would have to be there in order for it to uh, for them to feel justified in having a feature like this. Yeah, it seems like it would have to be really high. And also on top of that, is this something that is region limited? Like, is this something that you can't do in the American versions, but can do in some of the European versions? No idea. It's interesting because, I mean, that was that was the first car I'd been in where it feels like, okay, you're actually starting to see 
some of the disruptiveness of the uh, Model S and Model 3 leak into other cars. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, looking at that, it gives me uh, it gives me hope that uh, some of these other cars will uh, eventually have more of these features, and uh, they see it as a top priority, actually improving the user interface. Yeah. By the way, um, kind of off note, um, on vacation this last weekend, uh, I actually saw an e-tron out in the wild. How did that? Did it? Was it making its noise? Uh, it was parked. Oh unfortunately those ones have the noise that they play when they're going right um i don't know that's gonna be mandated in 2020 and i think audi was the only one that decided to put it into their earlier models so does this mean cars made in 2020 or does this mean that uh our teslas will end up getting patches that do this i think cars made in 2020 okay because you're like yeah that's yeah that's actually one of the major reasons i was considering maybe changing my car before 2020 was i really don't like the idea of it playing a sound at under 20 miles an hour what i think they should do is i think there should be limitations like i don't think it should play that on a freeway yeah there's i mean i could see if you're in a residential neighborhood if they dial it back where if you're going under 20 and you're in a residential neighborhood and not a commercial neighborhood and not on a freeway, then maybe okay. But on a freeway, if you're stuck in traffic, that would be infuriating. I, I, I don't even like it in residential. I mean, yes, there's the blind thing, but I I think the wheel noise is all basically all of what you hear of cars with a combustion engine at this point. Also, they're they're extremely quiet. So mm. what we're going to have is a situation where at low speeds, electric cars are noisier than combustion engines vehicles. Yeah, that's that's ridiculous. And it makes me wonder who's lobbying for this sort of thing. Yeah. Like, is it actual gas manufacturing cars yeah. or gas manufacturers? Yeah, maybe. So moving on, tell us about your U-Haul driving experience. Last time I went down to San Diego, I needed to move a whole bunch of stuff up. And since the timing was not set in stone and everything, and I wanted to be flexible and I needed to load from multiple places, I did not have people do it for me. I did it myself with a U-Haul. Loading the stuff in went reasonably well and getting it to the place was scary Um, But I sort of expected that from a a big vehicle. It's a bit wide, so I'm always afraid that I'm going to hit things on the side of the road. But I got used to that. However, when I started driving from San Diego up to the Seattle uh, area, I noticed things that were very annoying about it, such as there is no cruise control on a U-Haul truck like that. Oh, my God. It was... 1400 miles or so with no cruise control Uh, long days uh, did your foot cramp up luckily no but i had extreme pain in my neck when i was done and but that's because uh i had to constantly make little micro adjustments to the steering which had a very large dead area so i had to go all the way across to making my micro adjustments what's that name of that uh pen and teller game desert bus desert bus 
So it was like you were playing Desert Bus for 14 hours. Pretty much. It was pretty terrifying in LA traffic. It was completely loaded with stuff, so my braking distance was abysmal. And and you and when you drive a truck like that and you try and keep your distance, people will cut in front of you basically constantly. Yep, especially in traffic. Yeah, and so it was really terrifying, not knowing that if they slammed on their brakes, there was there would be nothing that I could do. And of course, it will be your fault, right? There's a lot of things that uh, U-Hauls should have. Like, I mean, first off, cruise control, like you said, you figure that a lot of the time you're going across country, that yeah. should just be a basic necessity. There's there's no rear view, rear view camera either. Yeah. That would have been great to have. There should be, I mean, a dash cam for this sort of thing anyway. Right. I mean, if anything, it would help them. Yeah. It would help their liability. Parking sensors would have been great. The mirrors made it fairly easy to, at least during the day, make sure that I was uh, in my lane and not going to run into a car on the side of the road or uh, passing semi trucks was also pretty frightening. Not so much uh, the, the tightness between the vehicles, though there was that. Um, so I would t- kind of overcorrect to my left usually. But also the vacuum that occurs when you're passing them with the air mm-hmm. causes the whole thing to go like tilt back and forth and like makes it really squirrely. Oh, yes. And I mean, your uh, your car is the U-Haul's top heavy. Yeah. So you're worried about tipping over. Mm-hmm. Uh, they had a headphone jack for if you wanted to play music, but n- no Bluetooth. <laughs> so that was out. I ended up using my phone and just turning the volume all of the way up to listen to podcasts while I was driving up. Oh, nice. What I can get over with a lot of these trucks is that I think they're not that old. I think they're, um, you know, you're getting car, you're getting trucks that are only what, three, four years old, if that. But these car manufacturers feel like there is zero incentive to upgrade them. It's basically like getting any kind of rental car. The difference between getting a U-Haul and getting a um, a rental car from, say, you know, an Enterprise or Hertz is with Enterprise and Hertz, they get the lowest possible uh, build of whatever kind of car that they're going to have. Mm-hmm. So, like, if they're getting a Camry, they're getting a completely base model Camry. Mm-hmm. The thing is that uh, these car manufacturers sell these kind of cars to regular people. But then what kind of regular person is going to end up getting a U-Haul? Yeah. Nobody. So it's only going to be companies like U-Haul and moving companies that end up ordering these cars. Therefore, they're all going to be the absolute cheapest bare bones version of that car that can possibly be made. Pretty much. And and that's where you end up getting something that, oh, wow, it has a headphone jack, but no Bluetooth. And, oh, there's new cruise control. Everything else that comes along with that. You could really tell when there was even like a slight grade, like the smallest little grade, like the engine goes. Mm-hmm. And I, I discovered fun things at gas stations, a fun thing at a gas, sta- at gas stations, too. It turns out that... Uh, most credit cards will that the gas stations will only pre-auth for a hundred dollars, and you get more than that uh, when you're filling up the U-Haul. So it just cut me off at a hundred dollars, 
And then I tried to run my card again and their card fraud detection thing kicks in. They're like, no, you can't get more. So I have to get out a different credit card uh, to pay with. And so each time I filled up with gas, I had to use two different credit cards. And, And then I got phone calls from my credit card company saying, did you make this charge? So after the whole episode where uh, you were saying that you had no idea what it was like to be at a gas station, I kind of have this perverse sense of glee (laughs) hearing about you now going to a gas station in a U-Haul and experiencing what life is like for the rest of us plebs. What are you talking about? You bought your Tesla. Well, but I I still have a gas car. Yeah, that's true. So uh, what else awful is there about the U-Haul to talk about? Let's see, was there another thing that bothered me? The seats are fine. You, it can seat three, so there's like a center seat. And so mm. I sort of took advantage of that to sleep in the U-Haul at a rest stop instead of going to a hotel. Uh, so I went into a rest stop, and like the first couple I went to actually were completely full. So, because I was, this was at like 1 or 2 a.m. or something. It turns out, that uh, if you wait too long to go to a rest stop, they fill up with trucks. <laughs> oh, yeah. And then you have to go somewhere else. And so I'm like, okay, I'll just go to the next one. I'll just go to the next one. And then the next one, it was full. And it said, next rest stop, 100 miles. I'm like, oh, I don't want to drive another 100 miles. But I did. Mm-hmm. And the next one, luckily, had space. And so I was next to like a couple of semis that had of course their engine on all night uh because that's what they do well yeah for like having air and all that kind yep, of stuff yeah so uh what part like what state were you northern california at that yeah point? i was in northern california when i finally was able to pull in and attempt to sleep so before it starts getting windy yeah yeah i didn't want to do that in the dark so like redding yeah yeah pretty close to redding I've, uh, yeah, I've done that trip in a truck before. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Also a U-Haul? It was like a U-Haul. I don't know if it was U-Haul specifically. So this one I think is, it, it's the 15-foot U-Haul, which means that they have 15 feet of cargo space, not that the vehicle is 15 feet long. It was a 22-foot mm-hmm. long, I think, vehicle. In our case, when we did it, we left at like 7 a.m. and got there really, really late. But then we weren't leaving from San Diego. We were leaving by close to Yosemite. Okay. Oh, that's a much shorter drive. So not only did I leave from San Diego on a Sunday, uh, but in my infinite wisdom, I decided I would go and do some climbing in the morning. (laughs) Oh, my God. This is the day after I had spent about 10 hours loading boxes. So I'm actually surprised I didn't like completely wear myself out. But I I, I went climbing in the morning and then I went uh, to lunch with some friends and then I needed to go and uh, trade a couple of things that were in the U.L. Hall for some stuff that was being stored at a friend of mine's house. And by the time I got going, I think it was 2 p.m. I mean, I've I've done something like that too, not in a U-Haul. I've had it where I've left for for Seattle at 1 p.m., and I think that day I got there at 6 a.m. the next day. Nice. But I did it, I did it straight. I was driving a Prius, and then it started snowing. Oh, jeez. The road was closed for 
I want to say 45 minutes in the south part of Washington. Man, that's that sounds pretty bad. Yeah, so I mean that was uh 2007. That was way before I had any sense in me. <laughs> but yeah, I wouldn't do that again. Yeah, that sounds very unsafe. Thank you for listening to the season three premiere extravaganza. Uh, you can find us at alh.fm for the show notes. And if you want to contact the show on Twitter, it's Aliens Land here. If you want to contact me, I'm Zermacopa. And if you want to contact Mark, it's uh, looks like it's alh underscore Mark. Yes, indeed. He has started using a public Twitter. Mm-hmm. There's all sorts of fun complaints that he has about Tesla on, on that. <laughs> yes. Watch me be a Tesla troll on Twitter. <laughs> all right. Later. Bye. I don't like this. <laughs> Why am I here?